Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9, called Giving Your Best for God. If you take your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at our faith in the workplace tonight as Paul gets really personal with us. (laughs) The Bible goes to every area of your life, and uh, I think for all of us who are journeying through life, unless you're retired right now, you know that We spend, unless you're a stay-at-home mom, a good amount of our time at work. And uh, I think it's been statistically borne out that you probably spend more time with the people at work than sometimes you do with your closest family members. And so your work really can become a place of worship. You know, we tend to compartmentalize our spiritual life. Sometimes we think that worship happens in the church but actually your whole life is a life of worship. And you can worship at work and you can build a strong testimony at work because it's a place that you typically spend if you do work a full-time job or even part-time, you spend a lot of hours there. And so people can see you in every kind of situation that presents itself in difficult crisis situations and high tension situations. If you live in, if you uh, work in an industry that's very deadline oriented, <laughs> uh, that's the industry that I came from before I went into full time ministry. Uh, everybody has a deadline that's yesterday, and it's a high stress environment. And so we all know that we can really be tested when it comes to that kind of thing. So we're going to talk about how you can be a witness at work tonight, but we're also going to talk about the witness that we have in the body of Christ as we serve the Lord. So those are the things that are ahead of us tonight. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you that we can be together tonight. We can worship you in every respect, not just in music, not just in sitting before the word of God, but we want to worship you with our lives. We want to present everything that we have to you as living sacrifices. We want to be holy and pleasing to you. This is our spiritual service of worship. And it is logical that we do this in view of your great mercy. And so, Lord, uh, I just pray that as Paul has instructed us that we would have ears to hear what your spirit would say to the church. And these ideas of what a Christian is to be like in the world are revolutionary ideas. And if we were to take them seriously, as a church, and I'm talking about the church in the world, Father, it would revolutionize our witness in the world. And the truth of the matter is, as we sit before the, the, the duty section of the word of God in Ephesians, we realize that we fall short in so many areas, and we need your Holy Spirit to fill us and control us, but we need to yield to that power. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would just help us to apply the principles that are here before us in the word of God. Uh, Guide us by your Holy Spirit and give us soft hearts to hear and apply your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now as we've moved along, we moved from a doctrinal section to a duty section. The transition happened in Ephesians 4.1 where Paul begged us, he said, uh, I therefore as the prisoner of the Lord 
entreat you, and that word has the idea of a pleading, an intense pleading, I entreat you to walk, and that word is a synonym for the word live, to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he tells us how to do it, with all humility and gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to present, preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now we do know that just as these attributes are true in a church setting and in a familial setting, these are true in a work setting. There can be backbiting at work. There can be difficulties at work. You can have a person that's a thorn in your side. It may be a difficult boss. It may be a coworker that's always taking credit or showing up late, leaving early, all those things that you have to deal with in a company setting. And so the key to the whole thing, as we have highlighted several times, is in Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The key to the whole Christian life is the filling of the Spirit. Pastor Chris preached on that. The Greek word for filled is plerao, and it has the idea of control and saturation and empowerment, like the moving of a ship's sail, the blowing of the wind, if you will, to move the vessel along. And that's what God wants to do, saturate and permeate and empower your life. That's what the filling of the Spirit is all about. It's about His control, Him moving you to where He wants you to go and how He wants you to do it. So there's the key to the whole thing. And then right after that, Paul moved into marriage and he talked about wives in verse 22 and husbands in verse 25. And we then moved into chapter six and we talked about children in 6.1, obeying their parents in the Lord for this is right. And then we talked about fathers or parents not provoking their children to anger and the Bible has come right into our front door. And it's saying that, you know what? If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to live out the spirit-filled life, the spirit-filled life is every area of your life. And Paul has now brought it in through the front door and he said, look, this is going to apply to your marriage. This is going to apply to your parenting. This is going to apply to your obedience to your parents. And now he's going to take it into your workplace. And he's going to say, this also applies to your work. And some people, you know, they, they rationalize. They say, oh, you know, business is business, man. You know, and they try to separate their business life from their Christian life. You cannot do that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I would say to you as a full-time pastor, having been in the business world for a long time, is we need you to be a Christian right where you are. Now, some of you may be called to full-time ministry at some point. Some of you are maybe in full-time ministry. But you know what? For most of us, we're going to work in the secular world in some uh, fashion. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because that's where we're supposed to be salt and light. That's where we can have an impact. I worked in the secular world all the way up until the, the year 2000. And uh, I was in my mid-30s at the time. And I was in a... Uh, company that dealt with Fortune 1000 companies. I was in all these big meetings and business deals and I had to deal with customer service people and production people. And you know what? The, the thing that the Lord showed me is that we need strong Christians in every company uh, doctors and nurses and salespeople and construction people and, and you name it, every area of life, school teachers, we need the presence of the body of Christ out there in the world. This is where we get charged up. 
This is where we come together in the holy huddle and we get encouraged in our faith, but we have to go back out into that world. And even if you come on a Wednesday night, you may spend maybe, what, three hours a week in this building uh, worshiping the Lord, spending time with God's people, sitting under the teaching of the word of God, but most of your life is lived out there. And most of your witness is, is going to be tested out there. And the real test of your faith is going to be out beyond these doors. You enter the mission field when you leave these doors. Every time you leave these doors, whether you know it or not, that's your mission field. Your company is your mission field. Maybe your neighborhood or you know, if you're on a, a board or whatever it is that you do in terms of your life outside the church. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, and we're just going to look at verses 5 through 9 in Ephesians chapter 6. And before I read this, I do want to let you know that in verses 10 through 20, we will be studying the armor of God together. I've written a book on the armor of God, seven pieces of armor to equip you for the spiritual battle, and I pray that you'll come back for that study. I'm going to break that down in some depth, and we're going to really look at the armor of God, and we'll spend several weeks together. So that's just a highlight of what's going to be ahead for the next several weeks. But but before we do that, we're going to talk about work. And so look at verse 5. It says, Slaves... Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now if we look at verse five, you'll notice that the term slaves is used and of course this brings up all kinds of questions What is the Bible saying about slavery here and what was going on in the first century when the Apostle Paul wrote this? And, you know, if you've been around the Bible for some time, you know that pastors have often used this analogy to talk about employee-employer relationships. And you may be asking the question, is there really a connection? What was the deal with slavery in the first century? Well, The Bible does address this, and so let's just kind of start, and I'm going to read a a few quotes to you. Uh, What was slavery like in the New Testament times? As a whole, slaves were not treated poorly or exploited. You need to know that. Though there were some definite exceptions. Aristotle said in, in one of the writings he wrote about ethics that a slave is a living tool, I'm quoting, just as a tool is an inanimate slave which rendered slaves a thing, although in his politics, Aristotle did concede that, quote, a slave is a kind of possession with a soul, close quote. So there was some acknowledgement that at least a slave uh, had a soul. Slavery was common in the Roman Empire. Out of the 120 million people living in the Roman Empire, because Rome had dominated much of the world, about one half of the population were in some form of slavery. That tells us at the time that Paul writes, approximately 60 million people are slaves in the Roman Empire. Now that's a whole bunch of people, and that would tell you that just about every home in Rome 
was somehow affected by the master-slave relationship. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Hey, Pastor Michael and the team really appreciate you listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to bring you the truth of God's Word and help you apply it to your life. To equip you when people in your community have questions, not to throw the truth in their faces, but to have an answer for the hope you have inside you. Would you please help us with something? Would you please reach out to us today to tell us how Walk in Truth has been a blessing to you? We have a church board, and they would love to hear from our listeners. They want to know how this ministry is reaching you. We would love to know how Pastor Michael's messages have helped you day to day, or even just this one time if you're a first-time listener. Please take a couple moments to either call us and leave us a message or email us. The number is 844-48-TRUTH or you can email us at contact at walkintruth.com. That's 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH or contact at walkintruth.com. And thank you so much and God bless. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. The Bible does address this, and so let's just kind of start, and I'm going to read a, a few quotes to you. Uh, what was slavery like in the New Testament times? As a whole, slaves were not treated poorly or exploited. You need to know that. Though there were some definite exceptions. Aristotle said in in one of the writings he wrote about ethics that a slave is a living tool, I'm quoting, just as a tool is an an inanimate slave, which rendered slaves a thing, although in his politics Aristotle did concede that, quote, a slave is a kind of possession with a soul, close quote. So there was some acknowledgement that at least a slave uh, had a soul. Slavery was common in the Roman Empire. Out of the 120 million people living in the Roman Empire, because Rome had dominated much of the world, about one half of the population were in some form of slavery. That tells us at the time that Paul writes, approximately 60 million people are slaves in the Roman Empire. Now that's a whole bunch of people, and that would tell you that just about every home in Rome was somehow affected by the master-slave relationship. And so uh, here's some things about slavery at this time. People would often sell themselves into slavery. It was commonly a means of obtaining Roman citizenship, gaining entrance into a certain society, and sometimes it was the means of paying off a financial debt. So if someone had a debt they could not pay, they would sometimes sell themselves into slavery or be sold into slavery until they could repay the debt. Some slaves suffered terribly at the hands of their owners, such as the slave of Augustus, who was crucified for accidentally killing his pet quail. And so some servants, slaves, suffered terribly. And... uh, But slaves under Roman law in the first century could generally count on eventually being set free. Very few ever reached old age as slaves. Inscriptions that we have discovered indicate that almost 50% of slaves 
were freed before the age of 30 years old. It is also a fact that there has, had been major slave rebellions. Some of you saw the movie Spartacus, and this is about 140 to 70 BC in that time. There were many slave rebellions, and so the Romans were very concerned about slave uprisings. You could imagine with 60 million slaves in an empire, if they had a leader and there was a rebellion, half the empire was slaves, So a slave rebellion was always a threat. That's why you would have a great amount of Roman soldiers present at feast days and in in other um, particular occasions. Now, by the time of the writing of this letter, sweeping changes had been introduced which radically improved the treatment of slaves. And I'm quoting from R. Kent Hughes now. He says, what is more, while the slave remained his master's possession, he could own property, including other slaves, and completely controlled his own property so that he could invest to save for the purchase of his own freedom. We must also understand that being a slave did not indicate one's social class. Slaves regularly were accorded social status of their owners. Regarding outward appearance, it was usually impossible to distinguish a slave from a free person in this culture. Roman slavery in the first century was far more humane and civilized than the American African slavery practice in this country much later. And that is a sobering and humbling fact. The New Testament does not condemn slavery, nor does it condone slavery, because its focus is not on the condition of the government or society, but on the condition of the heart, namely the Christian's heart that is full of Christ. When a man or woman's heart is truly changed, then the society will change. So what the Bible does is it addresses the current conditions of people. And because of the overarching condition of slavery at this time, it was more um, comparable to an employee-employer relationship. Often slaves earned the uh, trust of their master. Sometimes they ran their entire households. Sometimes they went out to social occasions with them. There were great friendships. And as a matter of fact, some slaves decided to, to remain on with their masters, and they did this out of, out of their own uh, free will. And so what you just need to understand is that the reality of what the first century slave-master relationship actually looked like will dispel many false conceptions and critics of the Bible because people who read the Bible and see, well, the Bible's talking about slavery and it's not condemning it because you need to know that the conditions of this particular situation in Rome were quite different than what we have sometimes seen depicted in the African slavery that has happened in the past in this country, which we declare cry as wrong, and we all know that when the principles of Christianity and the gospel have been applied in a society, when the principles and the implications of Jesus Christ and the freedom that he presents and the honoring of all people, whether slave or free, people like William Wilberforce and others have uh, always... uh, I moved in the direction of bringing out the implications of the gospel. And so when that is lived out through men like John Wesley, George Whitfield, godly statesmen such as Wilbur, Wilbur William Force and William Pitt, slavery it has been and will be abolished. When does slavery happen? When people begin to look down on other people. The gospel and the implications of the gospel and the founding of this country says that all men are created what? Equal. And, and so that has been the, the, the calling of this country 
to, to right wrongs and you had godly people who said, who looked at it and said, this is wrong. We are not to treat people, no matter what the color of their skin may be, as second class people. That's, that's, that's just flat out wrong. God is not a respecter of persons. And so praise God that godly people stood up and that was obliterated in this country. And of course we know that we have moved more and more, hopefully, towards a um, country that is not racist, but sadly we still know there's racist tendencies and we know that there's people that still hold on to racism. And I've shared this uh, with you before, but I'll share it again. My hero, Dr. Walter Martin, said the only color that God sees is red, the red of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? And so um, this, is, this has been a sad tragedy in our own country, but when we live out the gospel, as I mentioned, uh, slavery is obliterated. Now, in this context, though, looking at something that is probably more uh, closer to an uh, employee-employer relationship, you see in verse 5 that Paul says in Ephesians 6, slaves or servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Now, how should we do this? We should do this with fear and trembling. The NIV says, obey them and do it with respect and fear. Now, I don't think that the Bible is telling us that when you have someone who's over you in an employee-employer relationship that you should come up trembling every morning, what would you have me to do, sire? I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what the Bible is talking about is a respectful attitude and a reverence for someone's position. Now, you may not agree, you may not like the managerial tactics of your boss or someone who's running the company, but you are to respect their position, even if you have difficulty with the way they run things. And what you are to do, according to the scripture, is you're to line up under them. This is the idea of being obedient. The the word slave is doulos, and it has the idea of a voluntary slave choosing to be, be obedient. And the word obedient there is a Greek word which means to heed or conform under the command or the authority. So you line up under the commander. And that is what you owe him, and you are to do this, notice, with respect and fear. You've been listening to Giving Your Best for God, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 6, 5-9. through Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to Walk in Truth on this station. But please continue listening here because, well, this station is honoring the Lord by serving many more ministries in addition to ours. And you'll get to hear the latest broadcast from Pastor Michael. Walk in Truth is also available on your podcast app. It's on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many others. And you can listen to all of Pastor Michael's previous teachings. We have Pastor Michael's teachings on the book of Job, Psalms, First and Second Thessalonians, Galatians, Revelation, and many more. Listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want on your favorite podcast app. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, we've spent the last week or so talking about marriage and family, and uh, it's been good. And uh, I know it can be challenging, and you might feel like, uh, well, I've gotten a lot of instruction, and I just need to carry it out. What, what do I do now? Well, uh, let me just pray for you. And if you're driving, keep your eyes open, but this is... 
this is something that we would just desire on behalf of the team and myself for you. Father, for all of our precious listening family, thank you for them. I've had a chance to meet many of them. Many of them go to Living Truth here in Corona. Some of them come to our special events, and they're precious to you. And I know they desire to live out their faith in their marriages. Some of them are single. Some of them are widows and widowers. Um, You know their situation. And I just pray that you would bless them and keep them and strengthen them. And if there's areas that have been pointed out that kind of hurt over this last couple of weeks, but they know that you've been speaking to them about things that need to be amended and repaired, give them the strength to do that as well. I pray all of that in Jesus' mighty and massless name. Amen. Well, we're... At the weekend, and this is an opportunity to go to church, make sure you're plugged in and fellowshipping and serving. Hey, if you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and it's been a while and you'd like to check out Living Truth, where I serve as senior pastor, we're in the city of Corona. We're right off the 91 freeway and Lincoln Avenue, just a little bit, uh, what would that be, uh, west of the 15 freeway. And um, we do 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. services every Sunday morning. We have a youth group happening at the 10.30 a.m. service. Have stuff for the kids at both services. The address of Living Truth in Corona is 1009 Arsenal Way. 1009 Arsenal Way. Best way to get driving directions is go to walkintruth.com and click on the church tab, walkintruth.com. God bless you. Have a tremendous weekend, and we will talk to you very soon. And join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, called Giving Your Best for God. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.